2: You're listening to Working, the podcast where we talk to people about what they do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan. Like Washington, D.C. itself, the White House plays host to a transitory population of staffers. In the area just outside its fence perimeter, however, a more permanent crew of protesters has been operating for more than 30 years. We spoke to one of them this week, Filippos Malacubello, an anti-nuclear activist who mans the William Thomas Memorial Peace Vigil in Beating Snow. ...and piercing rain alike. We sat with him in the partial shade of the vigil's ragtag tent, surrounded by the clamor of other protesters, tourists, and the occasional passing Secret Service officer. It was a noisy place. You'll hear people chattering, performers prancing, and much more. But we thought it was important. It's in that environment that Malacabello has to convey his own message. And it's in that environment that he's been working for decades... Malacu discussed the shape of his days, which often stretch to 17 hours, and the supplies that he brings with him. In the process, he told us about his interactions with passersby, the support network that keeps him going, and how he interacts with the world around him. And on that note, there's maybe the most surprising detail of all, his friendships with the squirrels of Lafayette Square. And in a Slate Plus Extra, Philippus Malacu tells us, about the more than 30-year history of the vigil that he now operates. If you're a member, enjoy bonus segments and interview transcripts from Working Plus, other great podcast exclusives. Start your free two-week trial today at slate.com/workingplus. What is your name and what do you do?
3: My name is Filippo Milacubello. I am here across the street from the White House. It's a William Thomas Memorial Peace Vigil, and I protest for world peace against nuclear and atomic weapons and against human rights violations. How long have you been out here? I started helping out in 1981. I didn't become very regular till about 84. Yeah. Um, so, what
2: inspired you to start back then?
3: Oh uh, No, the inspiration didn't start with when I first came here. I was already, by 1984, organizing protests against the Vietnam War and against nuclear and atomic weapons in Southern California. So my, my, me and my brothers, we already were organizing protests because we saw our father do it. Yeah. So the inspiration probably comes from that my father was a longtime activist that was actually in front of the White House in 5253, mm-hmm. protesting against the Korean War and atomic weapons as nuclear hadn't been fully developed yet. So you're part of a,
2: a long family tradition of protesting in front of the White House where we are right now. Yeah, yeah.
3: It's kind of like I'm a legacy guy. Yeah. Like like if you go to Harvard and if your uncle went to Harvard, you're probably going to get in there.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: so you stay here now overnight uh, outside of the White House?
3: Um, actually, we had um, a volunteer Concepcion Pichiotto, who passed away on January 25th of this year. And I was doing nearly every overnight, but there's been volunteers that have come forward since she passed away offering to help me out. So now I'm doing only one overnight a week. So that's great to go from 7 to 1.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about the space that you all have built up here itself? Okay.
3: Um, By regulations, the sign can only be 4 feet by 4 feet, so I can have two of them flanking this area right here that it's a makeshift tent we'll call it is there a reason it has to be makeshift and not uh, oh yeah, yeah it's in regulations uh, in my other bag i have the 28 pages of regulations with an average of three to four regulations on page it's wow. 91 total regulations on the vigil so it looks like there's not even enough stuff out here that they could possibly make 91 regulations
2: <laughs> so you've got the signs uh, you've got the the makeshift shelter tent area right and people sleep in there in that in that tent space by
3: law they're not supposed to sleep but nobody's over here like the amount of
2: hours i'm here so over. if they do a six or seven hour overnight um so when they're doing an overnight that means they're just sort of sitting out over the course of the night it doesn't necessarily by law mean, yeah in theory by law right
3: yeah i, I better not wink i sure. better ever just verbalize <laughs> it <laughs>
2: for the record you did not wink okay <laughs> So what kind of stuff are you spotlighting on the signs themselves?
3: Until William passed away, it had a lot of information on the nuclear and atomic industry. And sometimes I would bring him articles on the nuclear and atomic industry, and he'd either use them or would use some of the quotes and make a good sign out of those.
2: So what's your day-to-day like? When, When do you come out here in the morning? Saturday and Sunday morning I
3: come out. Saturday at 5:30 a.m. and Sunday about 7:30 a.m. Mm-hmm. and both those days I stay till either 10:30, 11, 15. So, it's like, so a, like I do more 17 than a full-time hour, job. Oh yeah, 17 hours Saturday, 16 hours Sunday, and then an average of 11 to 13 hours Monday through Friday. You're stay.
2: seated for most of that time Sit here. Sit here. I'm in a seat. wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm seated. <laughs> <laughs> what are the most rewarding encounters over the course of the day. You talk to a lot of people. Do you interact with, with tourists I love them. going by? I love them. I, I mean, I love people I'll never meet.
3: This is a protest for world peace. Yeah. So, I mean, probably like 6.9 billion people that I'll never meet that... It's my love letter to the planet. So you. I mean, it's not only for the people because obviously if the planet Earth... If it was engaged in a nuclear holocaust, it would take the animals and plant species with it. So it's really a love letter to the planet. That's what it is when you protest for world peace. Some people come here and they'll yell at me that I hate the United States. Well, if I'm protesting for world peace, I don't know which world the United States is in. It's not saying... I want world peace exclusively of the United States. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I want but you
2: are here across the street, literally across the street, from the, the columns of the White House itself. Do you see yourself as trying to address the president, trying to address people who are in this position of power? The, the beauty of the White House is that it's part of D.C.
3: that people come and they visit their consulate and their embassy. And while they're in D.C., you know, we might as well visit the White House.
2: And they do. Yeah. So when you position yourself here then for 17, maybe more hours a day, it's partially to address the tourists from all over the world that come to this spot?
3: Right. So it's more an international feeling. Uh In front of Congress, there's way less international community. And with it closing at 5 o'clock till 9 in the morning, there would be a lot of void time, but we still according to what we're doing, would have to be maintain a presence for 24 hours a day. Here, um, I'd say through 11 o'clock, there's at least a dozen, two dozen people you can talk to. And then, again, from 2.30 to about 4 o'clock, you have the midnight stumblers. Yeah. Right? The last call revelers. Yeah. So then you have a little bit of a crowd again. It's just like an hour and a half in between. And then by 5.30, people are walking on the way to work. How do you and, relate to the, the people going by? I never talk to the people until they get on the sidewalk or if they're definitely looking at me and trying to get my attention because this is what I believe and it's why I don't use bullhorns. I believe people have the right to visit the White House and not have to
2: hear me mm-hmm. from 250 feet away. So Sam, I'm just a person who walks up to your your booth, is looking at your signs, is reading them, but isn't saying anything to you. Do you start talking to me or do you just wait for me to talk to you? If they've looked at my signs, I'll greet them. What do you say to them? Hello, how are you?
3: Allah como estás? Uh, Try any other language? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aloha. Yeah. Um, and Domnachu. Sala, salam alaikum, shalom, alaikum. You know, I'll speak until I'll get a giggle, and then I know what's going. Sometimes even in languages that I can't carry conversations in.
2: Yeah. But How many languages can you carry conversations in? Eight. Wow, I'm octolingual.
3: That's amazing. Yeah. So, but I mean, I know, I know several hundred Hebrew words
2: and several hundred Arabic words. When mm. you start talking with them, whatever the language, what do you talk about? Do you usually broach the question of nuclear war? I go straight
3: into what we're here about. Yeah. The nuclear industry, world peace. The human rights violations have been identified by the United Nations and knowing that that's only what they've identified.
2: How long does the usual interaction with someone last?
3: I have students that have kept coming for an hour and a half once a week for... Seven, eight years.
2: Is that how you think of students? Is that the term you use to describe people who come to the?
3: I mean, they started out as high school students, and then they stayed in the area and went to American middle, or GW. Students. Yeah, Howard
2: University, uh-huh. Georgetown. What about just the typical tourists? How long do you spend talking to them? If I think average is fifteen minutes. Yeah. You have. I notice you've got next to you. If you're right, there's a big bin of papers. Is that literature that you hand out, or?
3: Yeah, on the nuclear industry, on depleted uranium, Eleanor Holmes Norton. Mm-hmm. The um, She's the Representative in Congress That can't vote mm-hmm. As we know um, yeah. Taxation without representation here In, in Washington yeah. D.C. Yeah. So the whole reason why The United States fought England Was because of taxation Without representation And it is alive and well In the nation's capital So you have a whole range of topics That you can cover with people Not just nuclear war everything, But also
2: taxation without representation Here in the district
3: Everything that fits with in political science. That's how I have these students that keep on coming back. It's usually like they're in
2: a class, political science class. Do you ever interact with people from the White House itself? And
3: that, I won't speak on record no. on that one.
2: No? So today, the day that we're talking to you, it's brutally sunny. The sun is starting to go down yeah. right now. Yesterday we were going to talk to you, and unfortunately it was, it was raining so heavily, but you or someone connected with the vigil is out here all the time, every day, right? Right. How do you deal with extreme weather? You're under uh, an umbrella right now, but is that enough? Oh no! I mean, not
3: this last winter, but the two winters before that, we broke the all-time cold two consecutive years in Washington, D.C. for any winter. So had negative 14-degree days, but the wind chill factor was a negative 28. Uh-huh. It had 85-mile-an-hour wind, so it was deemed a hurricane.
2: And you were out here in that? Oh, yeah. You're so like was- the Postal Service.
3: I'm, I'm here, hurricane, blizzard, tornado. Why is it important to you to be out here when there's no one for you to speak to? Because then this will be taken away. That's the way it can be taken away, abandonment. Someone has to be here at all times? They're they're waiting for it to be abandoned by way of snowfall, blizzard, hurricane.
2: So you have other uh, volunteers who help maintain the vigil, right?
3: Right. Josh Casey, he helps me out four overnights a week. And then there's Craig Thompson that helps me out two overnights a week and three mornings. And then there's a man named Neil that helps me out three mornings and one overnight.
2: How do you coordinate those volunteers?
3: I've been the coordinator of the volunteers for ages. So do you keep a schedule or something?
2: Is there, a, is there an email list, a Google document? No. You don't do it electronically? It's all in your head? No. We. C- See, we,
3: a lot of things that we do, we still do it the way that William and I did it. I mean, if I had a 40-person roster, uh-huh. I'd use a computer.
2: If you want to touch base with someone, do you call them on the phone? How do you get in touch? Yeah, I got cell phone. Yeah. So you, you, you just give them a ring. So that must, be, uh, that must have gotten helpful, uh, that, that change, because you didn't have that when you started.
3: No, I mean, even by 91, 94, a cell phone was still the size of two bricks. <laughs>
2: and, uh. <laughs> so let me ask, we have, there's a woman over here blowing what looks like a shofar. Is she a regular out here? Is that someone that you know? Um, I've seen her about seven times in the last 25 years. Seven times in the last 25 years? Yeah. It's a deep memory. Yeah. So there are people that just come through regularly, but occasionally? Right. I mean,
3: she's come out with flyers that had. George Herbert Walker Bush's face on it and um, it said this is the face of the devil then about 15 years later she had a flyer and the face on the flyer was George W. Bush so I, I, I'm going to assume and I don't think it's a crazy assumption she was perfectly okay with Bill Clinton huh. Okay, and then since Barack Obama's been in office I didn't see her much and then, it was about 10 weeks ago, she came out with a flyer, and the only thing that was changed is... Donald Trump? Donald Trump's face was on there.
2: So when, can we, to talk about the volunteers again, if someone has to move a shift or something like this, you just handle that I, by phone, you make calls to the other people and see if they can come in? No, I just cover it. Cover it yourself? Yeah. So, so you're out here even more sometimes than 17 hours a, a day?
3: I mean, I've been here 96 hours through blizzards.
2: Wow. I mean,
3: whatever it takes.
2: When that happens, someone brings you food, I hope. No.
3: No? But, you see, blizzards and hurricanes, you can track those. Yeah. Okay. So, I bring food, but with, like, igloos, you can lock the container. Yeah. So that, like, vermin can't get in. Uh-huh. So, yeah, for, for those times, I'll bring food. But on a regular, we don't store food in the vigil.
2: Uh, so, do you, you don't have to truck the stuff in here every day. Or how much stuff do you bring... When you come out here, what do you what do you bring with you uh, when you arrive? A satchel with the flyers I've
3: made for the, that day, mm-hmm. or if there's a specific thing that popped up on the news, I might want to emphasize what's happening on the news and bring some literature about we, that.
2: Right. Where do you print that stuff out?
3: Gonzo style. Yeah. Yeah. What do you there, mean there, that? There's people um, in small municipality, government that... Help you um, out? Yeah. Because there's people in government
2: that they have causes they care about. Uh, It seems like it would be expensive to support this. How does this work out financially? The amount of money
3: I make through the spring and summer is enough for the flyers to continue probably through December. So January, February, March... In April, I go in the hole, and it's out of my pocket. Yeah. And then it never catches up, and each year, it's out of my pocket during those months. And then...
2: Um, Why is it easier in those in those months? There's more trips out here. By, so you're mostly supported then, are you saying, by, by donations, by what people just give when they when they swing by?
3: Yes. Uh, That's what, what I'm supported. So it's too. just
2: just people dropping money in the... Uh, in the bucket. In the bucket. Yeah. Can I ask how much it usually brings
3: in in a day? According to the time of the year. Yeah. But April, May, early June, $45. And remember, I have volunteers that need their transportation costs to get here and go home. Yeah. Um, Including me. Yeah. So you're still not making much. I mean, maybe everyone got a coffee, their transportation costs. And then July, August, early September... That's when I'm making enough money to keep the flyers and the transportation surviving through the end of December, and then we go back into that that time where I go in the red. You know, anywhere from some years 1,200 to 2,600 dollars a year. That it's my money, making sure that people have the money to get here and volunteer to do this.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, so is that money that you have from when you used to work? Uh, before doing this? Right. Saved up. Yeah. But it sounds like you'd have to live pretty frugally to... Oh, well, completely. This.
3: Completely. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't take vacations. Yeah. I. What I wear were either given to me or I went to a thrift store. Even thrift store prices too much. So only when I know a thrift store is having a sale... And so I haven't had a brand new pair of shoes that I bought for myself in 25 years. What size are you? Some shoes nine and a half, some shoes nines.
2: Do people ever try to give you things? Oh, yeah. Except donations besides money?
3: In January, before the blizzard started, there were two young men that came through that had come from the Green Party, from Ralph Nader's office in Washington, D.C. Brought me boots... Bought me scarves, a sleeping bag, two blankets, hand warmers and foot warmers, 12 pack of socks and 12 pack of underwear, and that's from Ralph and he owed to my name, Ralph Nader's office, Green Party.
2: How important are those kinds of donations to sustaining your ability to keep working here?
3: It, it's more like um, it, it, it makes you feel that. Someone's listening beyond the point of, hey, that's a photo opportunity. Look at that. That's something across the street from the White House. Looks like he wants the downfall of the U.S. government. <laughs> Let's go take a picture of that. That might be a little something rare,
2: you know. What are the most expensive parts of running the stand? Transportation? Is that the main expense? Right.
3: Fortunately, um, petrol cars are down to about, you know, two and a quarter. But when it was up at four and a quarter, it made it almost twice as expensive. Uh-huh. Um, that was tough. And then um, occasionally nothing else would come through. Our um, Buses aren't allowed to run. So um, I have a friend that made it a couple times right after the blizzards were over, but still streets hadn't been fully cleaned, and he used Uber. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> another time, another one came through and used a taxi and ran down here to see if I made anything. During a blizzard, and I just looked at him and go, What did you think I made during a blizzard? Do You think people were out here in like 85 mile an hour torrential snowfall? I mean, there's nothing in the bucket, but it's been here for your 28 years, 27 mm-hmm. years. No, no, 1981, 35. Long. Yeah. 35. Wow, yeah, yeah. That's the human sacrifice that I'm willing to make of my life for the civilians of this planet. I'm out here as a human sacrifice to bring down the damage, if I can possibly even more, on
2: nuclear threat. we just wait until this group passes. You've been listening to White House protester Filippo Malacubello. After these people clapping and dancing in the background move on, we'll talk to him about why he sticks with it, and why he remains hopeful.
0: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple, two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple pay purchases, and one percent on anything you buy with your titanium Apple card or virtual card number.
2: Are there elements of this area that we're in here across from the White House that, that you like trees or, or lights or bits of grass? Is there anything about this area that, that, that you found that you really especially token to that you love? The squirrels. You love the squirrels? Yeah, because
3: the squirrels, they come to us knowing that if we brought nuts... The squirrels come to you? Yeah, yeah, little treats maybe with peanut butter in it. With something that they eat, even grains, or, like, <laughs> people give me oats for me to have, make my breakfast at home uh-huh. with it. But I see the squirrels come up, and I'm going to feed them oats. Yeah. You know, so... Do you get to know particular squirrels? Oh, I have them? names for them. Yeah?
2: Yeah. How do you recognize them?
3: I know their markings. Just, I mean, if you see squirrels um, for every day of their life, um, until they... Because squirrels don't have very long lives, yeah. but you know them. Are I, they friendly? They'll come on my lap.
2: Wow, Does that happen often.
3: The colder it gets, I think they like being around contact. Uh-huh. Um, so during those months, I said, when there's less people, and maybe I'm going into like my own pocket to run the vigil, yeah. then I have the squirrels, and they'll be on my lap, and they'll be sometimes they'll climb up my wheelchair and come and like sit right there on the shoulder. And pe- the people that do come up, they're like freaked out, like. This doesn't happen in nature. (laughs) But you see, if I'm a guy that doesn't want the planet Earth to go through a nuclear holocaust, I'm doing as much for the animal life, the wildlife, as I am for humans. Because once this is gone, it's gone for all the things in nature. I mean, I don't see that much that is going to survive a 1,278 degree nuclear blast.
2: Do you ever get bored out here? How do you deal with that?
3: I trigger things in my mind that i've been doing since i was a little kid like what i'm in a happy place i'm in a warm place i do what i used to call telepathic transportation where i transport myself to kenya or ethiopia or brazil because it's so damn cold or boredom i I'm all of a sudden at a Beatles concert or Grateful Dead concert or Bob Marley and the Wailers concert, and or name it. Miles Davis. Yeah, I read a lot. During those winter months, I will bring a lot of reading. Uh But during this, like right now, there's it's raised up the amount of people out here because it's after work hours. So you know, there's people, fifty people around me. I'm not going to break into a book and then two paragraphs later. Because yeah. my attention is on them and yeah. getting the message out.
2: But what kind of stuff do you read?
3: I read books in eight different languages. On everything from Charles Bukowski, you know, um, William S. Hunter, um, Hunter S. Thompson, Noam Chomsky, Howard Zinn, mm-hmm. Saul Alinsky. Any of the books um, that were written by any of the members of the Weather Underground.
2: What about the, the secret service that controls this area of Pennsylvania that we're in outside of the White House? Do you ever have any hassles with them? Do they ever bug you? Secret service are lovely chaps. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, um. Do you know those guys by name? Yeah. Do you interact with them much? Yeah, I'm not going to say any of their names because <laughs> Sure, that's fine. But but they know you. Yeah, I mean, when it's very cold, coffee can come my way by way of the Secret Service. It's a muffin, bagel. Oh, it um, like if a it's guy. very, very, extremely hot, it's. I mean, it's not all the time, but ice water, the iced tea, nice. can come this way. And sometimes by hand of the Secret Service, but more often it's by the hands of the lovely people that come by and think that this protest has meaning is needed yeah. and it's that it's in the right
2: place. Do you keep a lot of supplies in the tent yourself? Uh, food, water, stuff like that to sustain you throughout the day? No, it's a, uh, food
3: becomes rat food. Um, I have probably a little more than a case of water in there and a two and a half gallon container of water. Uh-huh. Uh, so water we're going to need. Yes. yes. Of course. Um, but besides that, there might be some backup paperwork. Bug repellent. Yeah. (laughs) You know, during the summer I can have. What are the other critical
2: spots? Do you wear sunscreen ever? No. No? Just get a tan out here?
3: I mean I'm under this too. Yeah. Um so no, I mean I'm not getting a tan. No. I'm under the umbrella. Yeah. Right.
2: What else do you have to have that gets you through the day every day? Love. Love? Just of the people walking by or your love for the world? Both. Yeah? It's an equal exchange. Sometimes the Secret Service does have to clear this strip of Pennsylvania Avenue when the motorcades are going through. Are you able to stay here when that goes on, or do you have to move? There's times they've let me stay. And there's times three of my
3: friends that I would consider my best friends amongst the Secret Service, they'll go, they'll say something like uh, eminent or say a word like possible danger, we got to call in. And those are trigger words because... Now, only about, I believe, about 15 or so weeks ago, there was a situation where Vice President Bison, he was still in the Eisenhower Executive Building, and there was a shooting around the mm-hmm. corner. And it ended up being deemed that it was suicide by cop. Um, that the guy, that's the way he wanted to go out, I guess, like a martyr. And Did you we, have to move when that happened? Y- yeah, and that time, one of the Secret Service agents came by and... Let me know, uh, Felipe. Seems like, I mean, you've got a, it's lot of,
2: a lot of stuff here. Are you able to move all of that when something like that happens? No, no,
3: no, we don't have to move the things.
2: You just leave temporarily and then come back? Yeah, I
3: just roll out in the wheelchair, take maybe one sign, uh-huh. take the bucket, get some of the hand folded makeshift brochures, and yeah. go up to 8th Street.
2: Will you be here during the inauguration
3: next year? They move us, but they can't move us out of the park. They set up the bleachers here for the inauguration. Each each inauguration, they have they move us into the park, but uh-huh. they can't move so us from you the park. So they just move the whole yeah. vigil? Uh, the signs and everything.
2: Do you talk to other protesters who are out here? It does seem like they're... You're, I mean, clearly you're not the only group protesting out here. Are, is there a community of protesters? I'll say this, that
3: during the spring and the summer, you have a few of them that do the weekdays, but, of course, heavier on the week and. But once that college vacation's gone, you only see it on the weekend. I mean, there's artistic expression out here, but, I mean, they're not protesters.
2: This guy across the street from us is painted all in silver. And
3: then there's people using their freedom of religion rights, you know, handing out the the tracts for the Jehovah's Witnesses. But Monday through Friday, once college students go back, it could be pretty lonely of protesters out here. But, But the activists that do come through, most of them know who I am.
2: Is there advice that you give to people who are, who are protesting out here?
3: I mean, there was ones that were going to travel out to Ferguson. And before they traveled out to Ferguson, quite a few D.C., Virginia, and Maryland protesters came through and asked me for advice. What
2: advice do you give to other protesters? What's your most
3: what I What I try to tell them is you have the right to a peaceful protest. That's part of the First Amendment to the Constitution. You don't have the right to a violent protest. Now, it's up to you where you want to take it. If you're willing to get violent, which I don't advocate because I'm a protest for world peace, I'm not going to judge you. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: But you might have to face a judge. And I'm not talking about after this life. I'm talking about you might have to physically face a judge because you've chosen to get violent. I'll tell them this, too. Stick to what the
2: protest is about important to know your targets. So you said that you keep all of the rules for protesting here in your bag, by your side. Does that help you stay focused to attend to what the official policies and rules are, keep you away from a
3: judge? Yes, and and then also, if other people are going to protest anywhere with, th- throughout the District of Columbia, like I said, people come to me for advice. So I not only have the advice, I have paperwork from the Department of the Interior. You know the rules for the whole area. Right. Um, And then other activists have been surprised when they've seen people from the Department of Justice, Department of the Interior, Department of Defense, Secret Service, Park Police, Park Rangers come and embrace me. Mm. Because it's, well, they are protesters. That seems like that's the other side. No, I mean sometimes I can ask them for assistance or clarification of a law, and
2: I need to be humane with them. So you've been involved with this vigil throughout, I think, five presidential administrations. Right. Is that right? Right. Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama. Barack. Right. Have things changed? Has your experience of being here changed over the course of different presidential administrations?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, Bill Clinton disarming 10,287 nuclear warheads, the planet Earth disarming 10,695 nuclear warheads, but not one before this protest started.
2: But what about the, the tone of life out here? Has that changed have you have the kind of people that come by the way that people talk to you the way that people listen or don't has yeah that the Reagan
3: administration during that time and then you know it was right backed up by George Herbert Walker Bush so there was 12 years there where people willing to physically put their fists on our face and jaw and head and smack us has changed except for the last two years that the vigil was stabbed at, sharp rocks were thrown through and it
2: was completely torn apart. When the vigil has been attacked and torn apart, otherwise damaged, are you able to rebuild it? Is that ever an issue in terms of the obligation to keep it continuously operating?
3: The last time I just went right to my cell phone and I got on Facebook and I put the word out mm-hmm. and 40 minutes later, one person was here. And an hour and a half later, six people were here. And three hours later, there was about 12 people here that had brought more of the building plastic, brought duct tape, brought clamps, gorilla glue.
2: When something like that happens, do you file a police report? No. Why not?
3: I'm an anarchist. Okay. And I I don't want... Anyone to lose a minute of freedom for their lapse of judgment or their lifelong brainwash by their government?
2: Has there ever been a time when you just wanted to give up and stop? You ever thought about quitting?
3: No, because the face of a little girl in Bangladesh or a little boy in Cambodia, and the thought of a nuclear blast going off close enough to them. For them to lose their life is enough Mm -hmm. again this is a love letter this is a love letter to all the civilians of this planet how would you know when your work here was done when we get to global zero on the nuclear meaning power plants and
2: weapons so total nuclear disarmament disarmament at all levels at all levels Do you expect that will happen in your lifetime?
3: If it doesn't, I don't care if I don't see the day. If I spark the mind of the person that sees it done, I'll be happy.
2: Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. Our email address is working at slate.com. We do read all of those messages, and we try to reply to them. Uh, You can listen to all seven seasons at slate.com slash working. This series was produced by me and Mickey Capper. Mickey also edits the show. Thanks to Afim Shapiro. Our executive producer is Steve Lichtai, and the chief content officer of the Panoply Network is Andy Bowers.